The title of my message this morning is In the Beginning God. I am looking forward to this few weeks of coming up, and I don't know how many weeks that'll be, but talking about the book of Genesis. So I want to encourage you, you know, I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. I know a lot of you use the electronic, but I encourage you to be reading and studying Genesis. Um, hopefully, even after today, you get a little bit of a flavor of how much more there probably is to the book of Genesis then you may give it credit for even if you have read it a few times. I want to start with a story. Some of you, most of you, maybe know my testimony. Um, when I graduated from college, I was a teacher, an educator, biology and chemistry. And part of my actually searching and seeking God was I was beginning to have some difficulties teaching some of the things that I was teaching as fact when in fact... They were nothing but theory. It caused me to search the scriptures. Um, so we're going to be looking at a lot of things, and I'll, I'll give a little bit further explanation in just a moment. But I want to start with a story that kind of paints a picture, maybe of why there's so much controversy about the book of Genesis. One day there was a group of scientists. All you scientists, no offense. But there was a group of scientists, and they were gathered together, and they were just really in awe and admiring all of the things that they can accomplish, all of the miraculous things they're now able to do because of the wonders of science and their intellect and their abilities and their skills. And they determined, gee, we can even clone human beings now. We really, really don't need God anymore. One of us should tell him that. I like the fact that they acknowledge there was one. One of us should tell him that. So they chose one of the scientists, one of the most brilliant scientists, to go to God and tell God, God, we really don't need you anymore. So he approached God and he says, God, I don't know how to tell you this, but we do amazing things through science, our abilities, technology. Um, we really don't need you anymore. So, you know, no offense, but you can take a hike. God patiently and lovingly listen to all of this. And God says, okay, but let's have a man-making contest before we do this. And the scientist says, hey, great idea. We've got this. And God says, well, now just wait a minute. We're going to do this just like I did with Adam. That's how we're going to do this. Scientist wasn't taken back at all. He says, hey, no problem. Sounds great. And as he said that, he bent down to pick up some dirt. And God said, no, 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 no. That's my dirt. you got to get your own. You know, I am not trying to belittle science, okay? Uh, science is an amazing thing because it's a gift from God. I'm not trying to put down the intellect of anyone because that's also a gift from God, whether they acknowledge it or not. But the reality is, as we look in the book of Genesis, you don't have to go much further than the first four or five words and controversy erupts. I first said the first five words, in the beginning, in the beginning God created. Boy, right there, you're in trouble. You're in the wrong group of people or the right group of people. Already the arguments begin. 
But you take that word created away and you're still already in trouble. In the beginning, God, what are you talking about? There is no God. You weak Christians need that crutch to help you get through the day-to-day things of life. The reality is there's probably, and again, I'm saying this knowing what the book of Revelation says, but I'm not sure there's any more chapters in the Bible more controversial than the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We're not going to get through all 11 chapters. I told somebody here, I don't remember who it was, I told, maybe it was at the elder meeting, I said, well, we'll get through the first 11 chapters this week. We might get through the first part of two. But a real simple outline of the first 11 chapters would go like this. Creation, chapters 1 and 2. The fall and the promise of a redeemer in chapter 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see some problems occur in mankind, which leads to the flood in chapter 7 and 8. And then in chapter 11, we read about and hear about the Tower of Babel. Really, if you've been raised in a church, you went to Sunday school, probably some of the most familiar stories that we know come from those first 11 chapters. So as we go through them, I want to make clear that where I'm going to be coming from is from a biblical perspective, okay? Now, some people believe, many atheists believe, many intellectuals believe that science trumps the Bible. Um, we can have those kinds of debates with those people forever. But I'm coming from a biblical worldview. That's where we're going to come from. To people like the ones I just described, if they even acknowledge the Bible being worth anything, they might tell you it's a good story, it's a myth, it's a fairy tale, whatever. Then there's another group of people, and I have been in this group of people. This other group of people is trying to take a lot of things that science is discovering, take some things from the world of philosophy, and try and to somehow or other combine them with the biblical narrative. Trying to make science fit into the biblical narrative, or maybe even a better way to put it is to make the biblical narrative fit into science. And you can make all kinds of arguments and have all kinds of discussions trying to do both. One of the simple rules of interpretation of Scripture that I use is this. If the literal makes sense, go with that, first and foremost. So I'm going to try to look at this, what we're going to be talking about as the the biblical narrative being a God-inspired narrative of creation. And that's where we're going to go. So it's not going to be an in-depth, verse-by-verse exegesis. That's why I would encourage you to be studying this. I'm not going to bring in all of the contrary arguments that are out there. I mean, you probably know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. I've used a lot of them in my past. Um, That's not my goal. My goal is going to be simply, let's take a look at what the Bible says. And Genesis, quite frankly, is lays out such a simple, it's not super detailed, but it lays out a very simple historical narrative of creation. It's amazing when I think of it that way. And I truly believe, and I've 
done this, researched this. As I said, I was biology, chemistry. Uh, I've looked at so many of the arguments that oppose the biblical narrative. And I believe stronger than ever that the Bible can withstand the most severe, intense investigation you can come up with. So we don't need to fear as Christians that we don't stand on solid ground with the biblical narrative. But having said that, as Christians, eventually everything comes back to a place of faith. Amen? Eventually, faith comes in. And the Bible is very clear on this when it comes to even creation. In Romans chapter 11, verse 3, if you're familiar, excuse me, not yes, Romans 11, 3, it says this, by faith, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith. Eventually, eventually we get to that place in our reasoning, our logic, our study. Eventually we come to a place where we have to say something like this. You know what? The evidence is overwhelming. I am then going to take this step of faith and trust and believe in what God says. So by faith, we know these things. When we look at the book of Genesis, it is so much deeper than a bunch of nice Sunday school stories about a flood, about Adam and Eve, about an apple, which really isn't in the Bible in the first place. But this fall of man, the flood, it's so much more than those stories. I'm just going to read some of the doctrines and teachings that find their foundation in the scriptures. Just listen to some of these. The doctrines of redemption, the doctrines of justification, the doctrines of Jesus Christ, the doctrine that involves the kingdom of God. We learn more about the personality and the very personhood of God in the book of Genesis. We learn about the fall. We learn that where sin came from and what happened. We learn about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And we learn about the promise of his Messiah, and we learn more and more and more than that. It's all in Genesis. In Genesis, we learn about the origins of the universe. We learn about order versus chaos. We learn about complexity We learn about our solar system, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere. We learn about the origin of life, the origin of man, of marriage, of evil, of language, of government, of culture, of nations, and of religion. And you could go on and on. It's all in the book of Genesis. Some might agree, and I probably wouldn't disagree, that a lot of the societal problems we have in the world today are because... Many people, mankind, has chosen to not believe the truths that are found in the book of Genesis. We've wandered so far from it culturally and as a people in general. So we're going to look back. And one of my primary goals would be, as we look into Genesis, would be that we would begin to have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation for the sovereignty of God, the amazing love that God has for us, the power of his word should blow us away. And as much as anything, because in our world today, there's so many people, so many of us at times are hurting, 
So many of us have bought into this lie that somehow or other we are not good enough for God, that somehow or other you've done something in your past that would make you disqualified for the love of the Father. I hope when we go through the book of Genesis, you see, if you see nothing else, just how extraordinary you and I are in God's view of creation. I mean, when I think about all that's created, all that's out there, the universe, the sky, the stars, when you look at the plants, land, mountains, rivers, streams, valleys, all of this, and then think that the Bible makes clear in the book of Genesis that we are the crown jewel of God's creation, and he created all of that for us. Yeah, that ought to just about cause your heart to explode when you really get that in. That's how important we are to God. That's how important you are to God, every single one of us. That's why the Bible says he wishes that none, it's a desire, his desire is that none should perish None should go to hell. That's his desire. But because he did create us, as we'll understand, with a free will, many will choose to reject the gift, the love, the grace, the mercy of God. And they will experience only his justice. We don't want to be there. When you look at Genesis, it's 50 chapters. How many of you know that's a long book in the Bible? It's the second longest book in the Bible. Moses is considered to be the author by most theologians. Um, If that's the case, and I believe it is personally, that Moses wrote the book. Moses lived in approximately 1525 to 1405 B.C. I tell you that to say that that would mean that Moses wrote the book, actually, of of Genesis. Um, The material that's in the book at the very end of Genesis, with God's chosen people in Egypt, that all took place 400 years before Moses was born. So how in the world did he write the book? Well, first of all, I believe, like much of the book of the Bible, God gives divine revelation. I don't doubt that at all. As we go through references throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it would seem clear that the biblical scholars that wrote the Bible, these common men, believed it and knew it. I believe he also would have been able to get family stories, oral history passed down. You know, this is one of the things that intrigues me, and I could get on this rabbit trail, so I'm really trying not to, at least this week. But... You know, I love to talk about how old I think the, the earth is. And I need to rephrase that to say, I'd like to talk about how old, how long ago Adam was created. Because the, the numbers are amazing and the scripture lays the genealogy out. Now, some people would say there's gaps in the genealogy. Um, it seems pretty clear from the Bible that it lists the genealogy. And Adam lived quite a while. Um, If you didn't know that, he lived over 900 years. And this may shock us, but as we go through the book of Genesis, I'm going down a rabbit trail. This may shock you, but you'd think, gee, from Adam, let's go all the way to Noah, because there's certainly something that happens there that causes a break in everything. How could oral histories be passed down all those many years, all those many generations? 
Think about this. Noah's dad was alive at the same time Adam was. Think about that. That just blows my mind. Adam lived so long. And so many of them did in the very beginning. That there would have only been a generation. I mean, you know, you could sit down. Noah could have sat down with his dad. His name was Lamech. And he could have said, Dad, did you ever talk to Adam? What was it like when he got kicked out of the garden? I mean, I just, it blows my mind to think this way. But what it really does, it tells me that, you know what? We can probably rely on those oral histories way more than we think we can. Because they were there. They were alive most of this way. Matter of fact, you can go all the way out to Abraham, and it only takes four generations to get from uh, Abraham all the way to Moses. It's amazing. Okay, you're not amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> I got a whole page of birth dates and numbers, and it's just intriguing as I'll get out to me. We better get away from that or I'll never get through book of Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at a simple outline for the whole book of Genesis. The first chapter, as I said, the first 11 chapters, as I already mentioned. You know, you're looking at creation, the fall, and promise of redemption. And you're looking at the flood and the Tower of Babel. Then you can, you can break the next, uh, from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 50, you can break it into four groups. It's going to talk about the story of Abraham. It's going to talk about the story of Isaac. It's going to talk about the story of Jacob, and it's going to talk about the story of Joseph. There's the outline in the book of Genesis. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there, but that's simply it. So God is giving us a, a picture of the genealogy, if you would, of his chosen people. All the way from the first Adam, Adam, to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story. Almost half of human history, again, these details I know, you know, you're not as excited as I am, half of human history is covered in the book of Genesis. Think about that. Half of human history is in those 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. Okay, let's begin. (laughs) Then I'm going to say, before we begin, I want you to look for four phrases. I think I put a slide in there for this. That you're going to hear over and over. We're not going to go, as I said, verse by verse. But I want you to pay special attention to these four verses because they're very significant for a whole lot of reasons. God said. As I said, one of my objectives was us to understand the power in the Word of God. Not in just creating the power in the Word of God in our lives as believers. The Word of God changes us. It has the power to change us. God said, then the phrase, it was good. First of all, God is good. Everything he does is good, even though we may not understand it at the particular moment in time. Then there was evening and there was morning. One day. There was evening and the morning, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. For me personally, um, you'd have to jump through hoops to call it anything less than a 24-hour day. A lot of people do. Some of you may. That's fine. But for me, evening, morning, day. Evening, morning, day. It seems like seven days to me. 
We'll get into that a little bit more too. And then be fruitful and multiply. And I should have added a phrase after that, after your own kind. He says that over and over when he creates things and they're going to reproduce and repopulate and multiply, be fruitful, each after their own kind. That kind of messes with the whole theory of evolution right there. Each species within its own kind. So I just wanted to mention those words because when you start reading it and even as we talk today, you're going to hear them over and over. So creation, day one. It's interesting. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning. What existed then? God. What else? Well, if you want to get technical, I could say you could say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other than that, we know nothing, and it would appear nothing existed before then. There's a Latin phrase for creation, ex nihilo, meaning creating something out of nothing. Can you see now why science has a little trouble with creationism? Something out of nothing. There was nothing. God spoke, and there was. Amazing. Amazing. And it says there, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. I just want to mention this. Sometimes those that try to combine science and millions and hundreds of millions and billions and trillions of years with the Bible, a lot of them say right there there was a gap in God's timeline. You may have heard of the gap theory, actually. But I believe, personally, in the beginning God created. It was formless and void. It's like it was this mass of, it appears like it would have been a mass of water and water vapor. and It was formless. It was void. And God said, there, I've created matter. Now I'm going to start doing something that's going to be amazing. I'm going to take chaos and I'm going to turn it into something with structure and order and purpose. And as a sidebar, without a lot of of theological support, when I read that, I think of our lives as people, how sometimes our life seems like it's just chaos. And we read something in the Scripture, or somebody shares a word from the Word of God with us, and it's like all of a sudden, all of a sudden that, that chaos and turmoil that our life is in, all of a sudden things start to fit together. There becomes a structure to it. There becomes an order to it. And then all of a sudden we can see the purpose again. The Word of God is so powerful. It can change anybody and everything. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So obviously the water were already, was already there on the day one of creation. And then God said, and I, I know I'll be redundant, but I just want you to think, when you read those two words or hear those two words, think power and authority. When God speaks, there is a power and an authority to his word. That's why the Bible is so powerful. It's a living word of God. It's the word of God. It has power and it has authority. 
And amazingly enough, Jesus has given us an authority with the word of God. We can speak that word of God, proclaim that word of God. And it goes forth with the anointing of the Holy Spirit with power and an authority. God said, he calls forth light. And then it says he separates the lights from darkness and he calls light day and darkness night. Evening and morning, one day. You know, when you name something, if, 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 anybody pregnant in here? I hope if you are, you've acknowledged it and I'm not calling you out. If you are pregnant and when the baby's born, who gets to name the baby? Mom and dad, right? Why? Because it's theirs. I think when we look through scripture, every time I see those words now are, God called it day. God called it night. I, I think it's just a statement of his sovereignty. It's all his. It all belongs to him. He has the, the right to name all of his creation. Early evening and morning, one day. I want to just throw in another little sidebar. We see the Holy Spirit's involvement, right? He's hoovering over the waters. And if we go to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it tells us who the Word is. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he saw his glory, glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And when I go back to John 1 verse 3, to finish what I I started paraphrasing, And then it says in verse 3, All things come into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So I just say this to point out, we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The plurality of the Trinity of God at work in creation. And I wanted to point that out now because when we get to the creation of man, we see some, uh, honey, you're going to love this, personal pronouns. I have no idea what they are. But I know they're words like we, us, ours, right? Did I get that right? My, my wife is always trying to teach me. The plurality of God is involved. And we really don't see that again until it comes to the creation of man. And then the Father says, let us make man in our image. In the image of us, let us create him. Day one, day two, quickly, God separates the waters from the earth and the waters of the atmosphere. In other words, what he's doing, there's this, all of this moisture, all this water, vapor, liquid, etc. He separates them, and, and we have, depending on your translation, it might be called the firmament, it might be called the heavens, or it might be called the sky. But he separates the waters on day two. So now, he's spending time, he's preparing Just think of the preparation that went into this. You know what he's preparing it all for? You and me on day six. That's what he's preparing it for. So day two, then it says evening and morning, second day. Day three, he gathers the water together and dry land appears. So it seems like dry land was already there in what was this formless and void. It seems that way. But it was all submerged under the water. And it says God then takes and he gathers the water together 
and the dry land emerges. And he calls the dry land earth because it's his. He can call whatever he wants. And he calls the water seas. God created all the plants that grow and bear fruit and seed that reproduce after their own kind. Again, it tells us this. And then we start to see the phrase, God saw that it was good. And I want to take a little liberty, but I would encourage you to think of it this way. Everything that we're reading, everything that we're reading, he's doing it for mankind. He's doing it for us. He's doing it for humans. Should give us a greater appreciation for him and for who we are in his sight. And evening and morning the third day, day four, God creates the stars and everything that exists in the universe. He creates the sun and he creates the moon. And then he says, let them be a sign. This is another thing. Everything God does, everything has a purpose. It's not just like a random passing thought that he does something on a whim. No. I mean, if I was me and I was God, I'd have done a lot of showing off. But he doesn't. Everything's with a purpose. So when he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, he says, they will be a sign for the days and the months and the years. It was all established in the first few days of creation. And amazing, it still works today. And then God saw that it was good in evening and morning the fourth day. Day five, he creates all of the aquatic life, and he creates the birds. Saw that they were good, and he blesses them, and he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce. Fill the sky, birds. Fill the, fill the earth with all of these fish and whatever else lives in the water. Day six. Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind cattle. And really it seems like when you look at this, it seems like most of the animals that would have been domesticated by man, kind of in that term cattle. Some years might say, uh, use another word but cattle. Um, the creeping things. Anybody want to talk to him about some of those creeping things? When you, little green bugs. Anybody seen any of those lately? It's like, God, I don't get it. I believe there's a purpose might be just to annoy humans. I'm not sure. But he creates every creeping thing and then all the beasts of the earth, the lions and tigers and bears and everything else. And then he creates man. In Genesis 1, verse 25 in particular, just to stress again, everything, whether it be animal or vegetable was made according to its kind. Now, man has been able to do a lot of things with genetics, genetic modification, etc., etc. But they were created after their own kind. Verse 25, God saw it was good. Then you get to verse 26. Finally, All the preparations have been made. He's prepared 
the atmosphere. He's prepared. The, he set the seas and the waters separate from the lands. He's, he's put on all the plants, all the animals, all the insects, all the fish, you name it. It's all there. So the preparation is now completed. And now he's going to create what he created everything else for. And in verse 26 is where it says, well, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Then God said, let us make, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. God created man to have dominion over everything else. Not to abuse it, not to neglect it. Remember when we get to this point, he puts Adam in the garden to take care of the garden. And it's interesting when you look at the words that he uses when he puts Adam in the garden. They're words that are used throughout the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law. They're words that are used to describe acts of worship. So he created us to take care of, to subdue, have dominion over, and to do all of that as an act of worship to the creator. Amazing. His plans and his purposes. Male and female, he created them. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But be fruitful and multiply, just like everything else he created after their own kind. Man did not come from an ape. You can think that if you'd like. But he didn't. God created us as the crown jewel of all of his creation. And he looked at everything, and now he says, it's very good. It was good till now, but now it's very good. Why? Because the crown jewel of his creation has been put in place. Which brings us to day seven. And I want to read verse three of chapter two. God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from all his works, which God had created and made. Seventh day he rested. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, it's kind of an overview of all of creation, and it's certainly just an overview of the creation of man, because in chapter 2, we get a much more detailed, much more detailed account of the creation of man. And I'm going to just spend a few moments getting us started on that. But we won't even get to Eve today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Some of your translations say man became a living soul. He became a living soul. The word formed there is different 
It's the it's first time that Hebrew word has been used in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. It's the first time. The word there isn't created or didn't, it's not make, it's not the same word, it's a different word, and it's translated formed. And the word is yastar. And what that word means is, well, let me tell you, give you a picture first. Imagine the potter and the clay. And the potter gently, carefully shapes and molds the clay until he gets exactly what he wants. That's what the word in the Hebrew here references. It's to make, it's to squeeze, it's to mold, it's to shape. It's a picture of God. And notice here, when it got to man, it was let us make him in our image. It's a picture, and again, I'm stressing this, Hopefully, so we begin to realize in a greater way how precious you are in God's sight, how valuable you are in God's sight. We hear so much garbage from the world and other people telling us what we are. The enemy lies and tells us and makes accusations. When we see man being created, it's the plurality of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's almost as if they they got together, and this isn't probably how it happened, got together and said, hey, we're going to make it now. Everything's done. Now we're going to make man. And we're going to form him into exactly what we want him to be. And when he formed man, he did form him out of the dust. You know, I was reading a <clears throat> one this is a rabbit trail. They say our physical body is worth about $4.50. It depends on the value of leather because our skin can kind of be used in the place. Isn't that gross? But when you take it all away, take all, the, take all the water out of us, there ain't much left. Most of us have seen what's left when somebody's cremated. $4.50. So what in the world is, us, is it that makes us of such great value to our Heavenly Father? It's when he breathed life. He breathed the Spirit of God into us. It's like there is a part of deity entered into us. We are not deity. Don't hear that. We are not God. Never will be. But it's as if he blew part of deity into our very being and gave us life. We became life. We became a soul. Different than all the rest of his creation. The animals, sure, they had life. But they do not have the spirit of God. They do not have that soul in them. Breathed in the nostrils, and he became a living being. This is what makes us as man, mankind, so unique from the rest of all of his creation. We are different from all of his creation. I want to close, I think, today with a scripture in uh, Romans again, chapter 1. You know, as I said in the beginning, I mean, there are so many things I've said today that people could argue with me forever on. In the world's view, secular view, scientific view, they are so controversial, so many of the things I've already said. And I know that. But God has a unique perspective on creation and what it really does show. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What makes them wicked? They're suppressing truth. They may look good, they may smell good, and they may dress good, but they're suppressing truth, therefore they're wicked. And he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. All of creation declares there's a God. When you look at the structure, the order, and the purpose of all that God has created, he is saying in his word, mankind has no excuse to not know and believe that there's a God. Everything we look at should be reminding us there is a God. And then I want to continue to remind us we're the crown jewel of all of that. So if I want to leave you with a few thoughts that we've already talked about, God's Word is powerful and has authority. You and I have it in our Bibles, and we we need to dig into them. We need to read them. We need to pray for God to give us understanding and wisdom. The Word of God has power. It can change your life. It can change my life. When they're in the midst of chaos, the Word of God can bring structure and order and purpose for every single one of us. The Word of God, knowing that from nothing He created everything. I'm going to stop right there. I just look at my notes and I go, I just want to keep going. So if it's boring you, you're going to be bored for a few weeks. Please keep coming anyway and humor me. But I want to encourage you, read the book of Genesis. Get in the Word. Read the book of Genesis. We're just at the point where God is going to take Adam and he's going to put him in the garden. Did you know Eve wasn't created yet when he got put in the garden? And he gives orders to to Adam before Eve's even created. Then Eve is created. And then things go downhill from there. Oh, that sounded bad. Sorry, ladies. (laughs) Now, there should have been a period and another paragraph there. But we know the fall comes and the flood. And if you're into numbers and things like that, if they intrigue you, I want to encourage you. When you start getting the genealogies... Take how old they were when their firstborn are born and then add them up right down the list and you'll see how many years. And I'm not trying to tell you when earth was created formless and void, but I think, I believe I can tell you when Adam was born. Now you know I'm a heretic. Let's close in prayer and have a worship team come forward. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you have given us so much information, so much that impacts the way we live our lives every day, the way we should live our lives every day. Father, I pray you would continue to increase our faith where our faith is weak. Father, I pray you would give us understanding and give us wisdom. Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us, We continue to reveal to us how precious we are in your sight. 
God, that you love us so much, you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us that our sins may be forgiven. Help us to be armed with the word of God so when the enemy attacks, we have the truth of the word of God to rebuke him, to remind him of his ultimate destination. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand if you would or are able.